0: We've made our way through Matthew, and in the last few times we've been together, we've heard difficult words, difficult words regarding the return of the Son of Man. And Jesus has used stories or parables to to point to the coming of the kingdom of heaven and at the end of the age and the urgency which each of us should feel to make certain that we are prepared. And this morning we will finish... Matthew chapter 25, and and what we will see is not a parable, but a coming reality. I'm going to read Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 through 46. These are the words of Jesus verse 31. But when the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the angels with Him, and He will sit on His glorious throne, all the nations will be gathered before Him, and He will separate them from one another. As the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats, and He will put the sheep on His right and the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and... And feed you or thirsty and and give you something to drink? And and when did we see you a stranger and invite you in or naked and clothe you? When, When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? The king will answer and say to them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of the brothers, these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did to me. Then he will also say to those on his left... Depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels, for I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in, naked and you did not clothe me, sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they themselves also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? Then he will answer them, Truly I say to you to the extent that you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. These will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. The Son of Man will come in His glory and He will sit on His throne of glory. What do we think of when we think of glory? That that word for glory means weight, means significance, honor, renown, glory, and and especially divine quality, the unspoken manifestation of of God, splendor. And this throne of glory is a, is a throne of power. And we've seen this throne of glory before in the book of Daniel the prophet. Daniel the prophet was the Old Testament prophet and the same Daniel who was protected by the Lord in the lion's den. We, we all know the story of Daniel in the lion's den. That's the same Daniel. And, and Daniel the prophet says some things significant regarding this, this throne of glory. In Daniel chapter 7, verse 9, Daniel shares a vision. He says, I, I kept looking until thrones were set up. And the Ancient of Days took his seat. His garment was white as snow and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was ablaze with flames. It, throne of glory. <laughs> was ablaze with flames its its wheels were a burning fire a river of fire was was flowing and and coming out from before him thousands upon thousands were serving him and myriads upon myriads were standing before him this ancient of days the court convened in the books the books were opened and then a, a, just a verse or two later daniel shares what happens next I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming. And he came up to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion, honor, and a kingdom, so that all the peoples, nations, and populations of all languages might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. The Father of heaven, the Ancient of Days. The Son of Man comes to the Ancient of Days. The Son approaches the Father, and the Father gives to the Son dominion. The glory of the Lord frames this entire passage. The majesty of the throne of the Lord is the backdrop here. And and Jesus says there in verse 33 that... that This one will put the sheep on his right and the goats on the left. Sheep to the right, goats to the left. There's a distinct separation. And the one on the throne has the authority to command this distinction. This distinction is part of the process of judgment. We've seen a vision that the Lord gave Daniel, and now we're going to see part of a vision that the Lord gave the Apostle John. Revelation chapter 20 beginning at verse 11. Then I, John, saw a great white throne, there's the throne, and him who sat upon it from whose presence earth and heaven fled and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne and books were opened like like they were in this vision of Daniel. Books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead who were in them, and death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them according to their deeds. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire, and this is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, He was thrown into the lake of fire. There's something I want you to see in Matthew chapter 25 there in verse 32. The Son of Man on His glorious throne is before all nations. And and there's an interesting comparison made there in 32. What does it say? As the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. The shepherd. We don't usually think of a shepherd when we think of judgment. And we need to remember that the Lord is the good shepherd. Often we forget that. The Lord is the good shepherd. But we need not forget that the shepherd is also the judge. Jesus tells us there in 34 Matthew chapter 25, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come you who are blessed of my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. And naked, you clothed me. I was sick. You visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And then the righteous will answer him. Lord, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you a stranger and invite you in or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them you did it to me. The king will say to those on the right. And and listen to how Jesus refers to himself, the king. This is the first time Jesus refers to himself in this manner. The Son of Man is coming in glory like a shepherd who separates his flock. And now the king will say, Come, you who are blessed, inherit the kingdom. The kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And this is significant. There's a connection between son of man on his glorious throne, the shepherd, the king, the kingdom, and the king will say, I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty, you gave me a drink. And, and when we think of hungry and thirsty, that, those are that's the, that's the core of survival, food and drink. I was a stranger, I didn't belong. I, I, you invited me in, you made me a place. I was naked and you clothed me shelter and clothing we we've seen we've seen food and drink shelter clothing Jesus says I was sick and you visited me I was in prison you came to me we have seen food and drink and 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 shelter and clothing and now we see a matter of health caring for health compassion community and then that question lord when, when did we see you and the king answers them truly I say to you To the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them you did to me. The king will compare himself to the very least. What a contrast. The king on his glorious throne compares himself to the least of these. The hungry, the thirsty, the unwelcomed, the naked, the sick, the, the imprisoned. And then to those on the left... The king says to them, Depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. Three of the most horrible words in creation. Depart from me. Whereas we heard earlier, Come you who are blessed of my Father. Now we hear, Depart from me, accursed ones. Not accursed of the Father. And I want to make sure you see that. Not accursed of the Father. The Father had nothing to do with this. This is the end game of the curse of sin which began in the Garden of Eden. These who are accursed are thus so because of pride, their unwillingness to yield to the Savior and His cross. 2 Peter 3 verse 9 tells us, "...the Lord is not willing for any to perish." but for all to come to repentance. Let me say that one more time. It's 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not willing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. That's always been His desire. The Son of Man, the shepherd, the king, the judge, Jesus, says, depart from me. I was hungry, you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, you did not invite me in. Naked, you didn't clothe me. Sick, in prison, you did not visit me. And they themselves will will answer. They'll also answer, Lord, when when did we see you hungry? Their response is the same as the group on the right. When did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and we didn't take care of you? Then he will answer them. Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. Lord, when did we see you? These are sins of omission and negligence. Here it's not about what one did. It's about what wasn't done. One of the the least of these. Think about some of the least of these to whom Jesus ministered. In Matthew chapter 8... We saw the healing of a leper by Jesus. And and rather than healing this leper with a mighty word, which he could have done, Jesus reached across societal lines and traditions and touched the leper, healing him, identifying with him. And we we also witnessed the healing of the centurion's slave in that same chapter. This Roman centurion, a, a Gentile considered unclean by the Jews, this unclean foreigner implored Jesus to, to heal his slave and who was probably an unclean foreigner like himself. And we witnessed the centurion show a believing faith in Jesus. And in Jesus' words, not like anyone else in Israel resulting in the servant's healing. A leper, a Gentile centurion and servant, all considered in that day and time to be the least of these. And Jesus says in this last verse for this morning, Jesus says in this last verse, these which did not help the least of these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Eternal is used to describe both. Punishment and life, both eternal. Hell, pretty clear that it's a bad place to be, I think. It doesn't sound like death is turning off a light bulb either, does it? (laughs) Kind of like when we hear someone say that when life is over, poof, that's it. That doesn't seem to be the case. (laughs) That's not what Scripture says. Again, Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9 tells us, The Lord is not willing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. And the question which is asked all the time, why would a loving God even allow this? Well, an old commentator in the old pulpit commentary said this, It's indeed a mystery which we cannot understand and which Christ has purposely left unexplained. We can only bow the head and say, "'Shall not the judge of all the earth do right.'" Son of man, shepherd, king, judge. I want you to look at the very next verse. It'll be Matthew chapter 26, verse 1. This is how the first verse of chapter 26 begins. "'When Jesus had finished saying all these things, He said to His disciples, "'As you know, the Passover is two days away, "'and the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified.'" And then the chief priests, they will begin to devise their plots. And then we will see the the unfolding of events which will lead to Calvary. But today in Matthew 25, what we've seen are the final teachings of Jesus to his followers. This was not addressed, what we've seen was not addressed to a great crowd of people. This was addressed to his disciples, his followers... His final points of discipleship, if you will. And this is a pretty big deal. We'll actually have one or two more messages in Matthew, but these are the last teachings of Jesus to those closest to Him. He's warning those closest to Him about judgment. His followers, those that love Him, they are being warned, as are we, about the glory of the Lord and His judgment. And I don't believe this is an accident there's a lot we don't know about the judgment. We've read we read earlier two significant portions there in Daniel and Revelation. But there are mysteries of God in scripture that scripture doesn't share in full. But today we've been shown what should be a major portion of our faith which should translate to what should be a major portion of our faith in life and action. And we've seen it firsthand from the king of glory identification identification in our faith we see a heavenly king the son of god leave his throne of glory and condescend to become a man and a servant a lowly servant a servant who would wash the feet of his disciples at the last supper dirty nasty feet jesus is identifying with the least of these John chapter 1, verse 14 reads, well-known verse, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We saw His glory, <laughs> glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And at the end of the day, at the end of our days, we will see the Son of Man, the Heavenly King, on His throne of glory, evaluating our willingness to condescend to minister to serve judging our ability to identify with the least of these God descending to man this act of identification with man Jesus identifying with man has resulted and will result in the reconciliation of man back to God it's the very act of salvation Jesus set aside His glory in His first coming to become one of the least of these. And in Jesus' second coming, He will be manifest in all of His glory. And and what was briefly given a hint on the Mount of Transfiguration, what was briefly given a hint on the Mount of Transfiguration when Jesus for those moments revealed His true glory there in front of Peter and James and John and in the presence of Moses and Elijah... That will be seen again when the judge returns and sees how well we disciples were able to identify with the least of these. And the least of these, as we've seen in these kingdom encounters throughout Matthew, the least of these, many of them referred to Jesus as Messiah, as Son of David. They were saying they knew that Jesus would inherit the kingly throne. And question, will the least of these be able to identify us as a people called by the name of God by our willingness to engage them? Look at verse 40, please. Verse 40. The king will answer and say, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, Even the least of them you did to me, these brothers of mine. There are some theologians who believe that the primary point of this passage is simply this. We as followers of Christ need to make sure that we love the church as Christ did. Brothers of mine, ones who identify with Jesus, his followers. We are told throughout the New Testament to love one another. And in John's gospel, during the Last Supper with his disciples, Jesus prayed that the disciples would be one, that there would be unity. Jesus said, it's John chapter 17, he said, The glory with which you have... he's praying to the Father. The glory which you have given me, I also have given to them, so that they may be one, just as we are one. And Jesus says this mind-blowing statement in this prayer to the Father in John chapter 17, verse 23. I in them and you in me so they may be perfected in unity so that the world may know that you sent me and you loved them just as you loved me. As God the Father and God the Son are one, we are one in them. And that means that we are one together. We identify God's love is in us, and we are to love one another. We're to love one another in our words, in our actions, in our, in our service, in our sacrifice. And you know, Christianity is a whole lot bigger than America. We have brothers and sisters of the faith who are being martyred this very day for their faith. As we love one another in our words, and in our actions, in our service, and in our sacrifice, what we're doing, we point to Christ and the gospel when we do this. As we relate to one another, to the watching world, we are pointing them to Christ and the gospel. When we don't love the brethren, we send a distorted image to the watching world that needs the gospel. When we don't love the brethren... We send a distorted image to the watching world that needs the gospel. Will the least of these identify us as a people called by the name of God by our willingness to engage each other as well as engage them? It's crucial that we don't misunderstand. We don't earn our salvation by the good we do. We don't earn our salvation. Jesus saves when we each confess our sin and our need for Him and His righteousness. But as Jesus is both Savior and Lord, we must follow to where He points us. We must follow to where He points us. And there are times it will be to the least of these. And our salvation in, in Jesus alone, in, in His cross alone, will be seen And our faith will be made evident by our obedience. Our faith will be made evident by our works. Because our works will be what we do because we are obedient to where the Father points us. Our obedience to Jesus' teachings. And as we follow, it's important (laughs) we need not forget these last teachings of Jesus we need not forget that and and I've asked I've asked you the last few weeks are you ready for the return of the lord and 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 this is how you know do, do you feel conviction over your sin we're all sinners and the lord has to be allowed to deal with sin jesus taking our sins to the cross gave us his righteousness the righteousness required for us to stand before a holy God. It's not what we do. It's not how we work. Jesus takes our sin to the cross and, and gives us his righteousness. And we need the righteousness of Jesus because we're all sinners. Because the sin, our sin, the price, the wage of our sin is death. And as we've said, as you've read, as I've said, the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus, by dying on the cross, has paid the price of the wages of our sin. God showed us his great love by sending Jesus to die for us while we were still sinners. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. And, and if you and I can come to the place that we understand that as sinners we deserve death and that we need a Savior, and, and if we can step past our pride to trust in Jesus being the only one who could die for us and, and be restored to life. If we confess our sin and our need for Him, if we trust in that and we have the belief, we have the faith that Jesus can pull all of us off, we can have a relationship of peace with God. The watching world wants us to point them to the things of God. And they're watching us. Are we obedient? Are we able to listen to the Father as he points us to the very least of these.